On this episode of the This Is Believe One podcast, I am welcoming back Jordan Cohen as we're discussing what happened between the Browns and the Bengals this past Sunday. Welcome back, Jordan. Hey, how's it going, man? It's going pretty good. Uh, Browns are 5-2. and two. Uh, Exceeding my expectations, uh, I believe they will surpass the high end of my ceiling for their wins, which was something I tweeted out earlier today. Uh, but things are going good in Cleveland, especially for the Browns. Yeah, I mean, I think they will be at the very top of my high end. Like, I think the when I was on here, I think the top of my high end, the absolute top was 11 wins, but I thought 10 was really, like, the more likely top just because of the schedule. But but what's catching me off guard a little bit is that I thought what was going to happen for that top end is Baker was really going to adjust to this offense and look like Kirk Cousins. And that's not what's happened. No. And uh, speaking of Baker, this is the first topic I want to talk about was Baker Mayfield and his wonderful three quarters of play after looking like hot garbage in the first quarter. Because um, he threw that interception uh, on his first pass of the game, which was his second consecutive game, throwing an interception on his first pass attempt of the game. Then he you continues to you know complete 22 straight passes, not counting the, the spike. The numbers on the surface, if you're just looking from that, you know, the, the straight completions, the yards, the touchdowns, they're fantastic. However, I think a lot of something a lot of people are not taking into account is that these players are being schemed open. And that's not a bad thing, but it's not like he's back there being Peyton Manning or, you know, doing something like Aaron Rodgers. And surveying the field, doing processing, it's snap, make the first read, and throw. Right. Yeah, I, um, so Sam Monson from PFF had a really good tweet last night, which he basically went back and watched, and he said Baker was throwing to his first read on pretty much every play in that series of completions. And then there were a few comments that basically were saying, well, if you actually look at it, Baker was making a lot of pre-snap adjustments, especially with motion, so he could read the field pre-snap, which, first off, I still think is Stefanski. I don't believe that was Baker doing that. I, Stefanski's in his ear until the headphone goes off. Um, but, but secondly, even if that's true, Baker's problem has never really been pre-snap reads. He's always been pretty solid pre-snap. Mm-hmm. It's post-snap when the defense does something like, I don't know, run a zone and or, or he they, cannot read zone. they bluff a blitz or bluff a guy dropping back right, into coverage right. it's, it's, it gets confused yep, exactly. easily yep exactly and i think it is fair to say and, and i think i am probably higher on this coaching staff than most people i think this coaching staff is doing a job that people don't even recognize how great it is scheming these receivers open mm-hmm. i mean it has been like in cincinnati's defense is terrible yes. so let's <laughs> start with that too they're terrible but it's been all season like Mm -hmm. even against the colts who have a very very strong defense and the redskins have a solid defense the we were scheming guys open the whole time so i think the coaching staff is working wonders and this is something i said before the season is that my one concern is that the coaching staff's going to do a great job and it's going to make some fans and some people in management think Baker's doing a solid job and really improving, where I'm not 100% sure that's what's going on. And I agree with that with that right there, because we've seen 
the two extremes of Baker Mayfield in literally back-to-back weeks. Yep. And when things go well, he's reading his, he's finding his first read, or you know, there was a couple of plays where he didn't have his first read or was forced to do something else. But for the most most of the time, it was snap the ball, and with very quickly, he was delivering the ball out because that was his first read. Uh, there was the play where he almost got sacked, and he threw uh, he threw it over the middle. I don't remember who caught it. Um, was that Harrison Bryant? It might have been Harrison Bryant. I think it might have been Harrison Bryant that caught it. But he shook off the the would be sack to to complete a pass. So that play wasn't necessarily you know the snap and throw. Because I know that's going to be the first response to everyone uh, from everybody when I say he's just making his first read. And the the touchdown pass at the end of the game to Peoples-Jones um, didn't look like it was his first read, or at least an immediate read and throw type of... Right, I think it's fair to say that this probably was Baker's best game since he became a Brown. Yeah. Like, just in, like I think it was. Like, you would much rather have this game than not. But I think you're right, like... Generally speaking, this was a great job by the coaching staff. Yes. I mean, we've seen this type of extremes, not only with this quarterback, but with offenses that are similar to this previously. You'll see games where uh, the coaching staff is able to scheme the players open and, you know, someone who is, you know, in the average quarterback range. So sometimes maybe that's Kirk Cousins. Maybe it's maybe it's Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe it's Jared Goff where they look really good for a game, but when they play really good defense and things don't go according to plan or just right, the you know, everything falls off the rails. Right. I, I think with a lot of these teams, they're really good at positive game script, not so good at negative game script. And I think what makes Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan so special, and you saw this last night really through the especially at the start of the second half when Rams were up, but they were not running negative game script because they were only up by a touchdown mm-hmm. uh, or they weren't running positive game script because they were only up by a touchdown. They're running negative. What I think makes those two so special is they do have that ability. Like they can coach those offenses to be very good at negative game script. I think Stefanski generally, we have seen decent jobs with negative, a decent job with negative game script. Like, Given what he's at, like, I, I think it is very unlikely this team will ever beat the Pittsburgh Steelers this season, I think, or the Baltimore Ravens. I think the talent disparity may just be too big. Now, maybe with Nick Chubb back, that's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. If I saw some rumors about the trade deadline, like the uh, Anthony Harris from Minnesota for the defense, like that all definitely could change things. But the talent gap is so large. And it's very similar to the 49ers Packers game last year, where I mean, you see it this year. Packers are still clearly very good at negative game script. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the te- they were just way out talented compared to the 49ers. Yes. Um, I, I think the there's not been a game yet where the talent was, I think, fairly close to even, and we had to go into negative game script. Like, I think the get talent gap between Baltimore and Pittsburgh and Cleveland mm-hmm. is the same as Cleveland and Cincinnati. I think it's the I think it's just massive. Yes. Um, Indianapolis was probably the closest one, and I thought they did a great job in that game. Mm-hmm. But eventually, like, it's going to happen, right? Eventually, like, it may happen next weekend. Oakland seems like a team that is more or less kind of even on talent with the Browns. Mm-hmm. Browns may be a little bit more talented. Raiders may be a little bit more talented, just depending on the day. 
but it could also be a game where I think the Raiders go up early. And in that case, I think that will be fascinating because that'll really be kind of the second time where Stefanski's had to go negative game script against a team evenly talented. And, and you know, we'll see. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, so far, I don't think Stefanski's done anything wrong that he has not then approved upon, improved upon the following week. And I think he deserves credit there. Yeah, he, he does deserve credit. If there's one thing that I, I need them to take a break from, it's the trick plays. That's my only complaint, really. Yeah, they're not uh, working. The, they, they worked the first couple games, but everybody's ready for him now. And Jarvis Landry took a huge hit on his pass that he threw. He got clobbered. Well, okay. I, I think the problem is the trick play is the same trick play they've been running. Mm-hmm. And the, the frustrating thing is, I mean, I don't know if you watched the Rams-Bears game last night. The Rams do the same jet motion, like, mm-hmm. every third play. But yes. it's not a trick play for them. Like, it is a very clearly designed scheme play. Yes. And I, I don't know why the Browns just don't do that. Because I think is a trick play when teams see the number one receiver on kind of this wide sweeping motion, not necessarily close to the line, mm-hmm. they know it's coming. Yes. Um, and if they know it's coming as a trick play, they're ready for it. If it comes every third play or every fifth play or every 10th play or every 20th play, they're not ready for it. It, it. It's different. And to me, I don't understand why after the first few weeks where it was so effective, they just started adding it as a regular kind of twice, three times a game motion. But it, they didn't. It, it seems like they're feeling themselves a little bit with that play. And um, that play uh, outside of uh, Odell's 70-plus yard run, it's become basically less and less effective in each each time, it seems like. And it's actually putting the players who have the ball on that particular play in danger. And that's not something... Yeah, Baker almost got killed on that same Jarvis play, too. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the other thing, and it's something that I keep preaching, and I think we all have to be cognizant of. This is a very young coaching staff. uh, And I think they are doing a good job, again, learning. Mm -hmm. Again, they, they deserve credit. I think this is one of those things that maybe during the bye week they start looking back on and kind of make the adjustment. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they will. I, they've seemed to have made adjustments to a lot of these different issues. So it wouldn't surprise me. I, I think it's time to start getting out of the gadgety stuff. Mm-hmm. And I also think the coaching staff is cognizant of something you and I have talked about and that a lot of people on Brown's Twitter just don't want to believe Nick Chubb is substantially better than Kareem Hunt. Mm-hmm. He's substantially better. It's, it's, it's not even close. Uh, no, I know it, that... I'm not saying Kareem Hunt's bad, but Chubb is substantially better. Yes. Kareem Hunt is a good secondary complementary back to Nick Chubb yep. in this style of offense. While Kareem I mean, Hunt think... was productive in Kansas City, it was a different style of offense. You know, right. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes, you had all these electric, you know, receivers, you know, I guess the more important things, you had a quarterback who was accurate on a consistent basis, which made teams, you know, be scared of that. Well, and like, listen, I, I, again, I have, I would give this coaching staff an eight out of 10, maybe a nine out of 10 on the season. I, I think Stefanski's really good. Kansas City also had Andy Reid, who's probably the best offensive coach of all time. Yeah. Um, and so that helped. I, now, one thing I'm interested in your thoughts. So, like, if you watch a lot of these kind of 
offenses, so especially like the Rams and the Vikings last year under Stefanski and then the 49ers, they'll use guys like that, like a Kareem Hunt type, is a receiver more frequently than running back, and then they move those guys in motion. And I really think that's something that when Chubb comes back, the Browns got to start doing. Uh, they definitely should use Kareem Hunt as a receiver more because I see his value more as a receiver than I do as a running back. Well, um, like, look at how the 49ers use Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel, I know, yes, he, he is... He was drafted as a receiver. Debo Samuel is a running back, playing receiver. Mm -hmm. I don't see why the Browns can't do exactly what the 49ers do with Debo Samuel with Kareem Hunt. And I'll give you two other examples with uh, guys who've been starting running backs, or, you know, at least one who's currently a starting running back. Uh, You know, we've seen it in the past with the Cowboys, with Ezekiel Elliott. They'll split them up wide. We've seen it with the Steelers, with Le'Veon Bell, when he was in Pittsburgh. Le'Veon Bell's a great example. Yeah. And... You can split those guys out, and they they are good receiving backs, and that's something that yeah. they should need to take advantage of, because yeah. a, a, a standard corner is not going to be able to tackle them. A linebacker is not going to be able to keep up with them. You no, have you to use take. Safety. You have to take that and get the advantage there. You have to find the mismatch. A running back like, at like Kareem Hunt as a receiver is a mismatch. Yep. Well, and then you have to commit a safety, which means there's one less safety that can zone and trick Baker up. Mm-hmm. Or if they don't have a safety committed, then you just throw the ball to Kareem Hunt. Like, it's a great kind of advantage. It's something I think, I, I don't know why they weren't doing to start the season. Uh, part of me thinks it was because what has become very clear is Baker is having a lot of trouble learning the playbook. Um, and he's like the only one. Mm-hmm. But it feels like that is becoming less of an issue now, like he's kind of figured it out. So, again, it's something I hope after the bye when they have Nick Chubb back. I mean, Kareem Hunt as a receiver is great as a mismatch, but imagine defending a running play where Kareem Hunt starts as a receiver and then runs a jet motion. That'd be perfect. Who are you going to cover, Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt? Because mm-hmm. you got to pick one of them, and if you pick the wrong one, the other one's going for a touchdown. Yes. I mean, those that that should be something they should definitely get back into the mix, <clears throat> or into the mix. Uh, but Kareem yeah. Hunt's receiver will be or should be something that they should utilize once Nick Chubb comes back, especially yep. because Browns are down a receiver the rest of the year, and yep. he's a good one, and that's Odell. Yep. And yep. no, it's gonna hurt. And. <clears throat> I know a lot of people are doing the, honestly, it's an ingenuine comparison of Baker's numbers when throwing to Odell and Baker's numbers when throwing to the one, the only, Hollywood Higgins, which is just completely ridiculous. Yeah, it's the dumbest comparison I've heard in a long time because when Rashard Higgins is catching the ball, he's being guarded usually by a linebacker, maybe a safety uh, he's not being guarded by one of the corners. Mm-hmm. And when Odell's, when Baker's throwing Odell, Odell's being guarded by the other team's best corner and a safety. Yeah, he's he's either just straight up doubled or it's bracket or it's it's yep. the best corner that they have. You know, yep. they're, or they're shading zone coverage towards him on that side yep. of the field. Richard Higgins is getting covered by like the third best corner. Maybe they're, if that. you know, if they, maybe their third best corner at the, at the top, probably fourth. 
maybe a safety, maybe a linebacker. I mean, uh, there was the one play uh, two weeks ago where he was wide open against the Steelers, and they were like, how was he that open? I'm like, because it's Rashard Higgins, that's why. Right. <laughs> you're, not, you're not worried about Rashard Higgins. You're, you're worried about Odell. Space. <laughs> Rashard Higgins, if he's open, it's because the other team's not defending him well. He doesn't find space. No, it's 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 because they're they're worried about the other legitimate receiving options. They're worried about Odell. Right. They're worried about Jarvis. Jarvis. They're worried about Harrison Bryant. They're worried about Austin Hooper. You know what I mean? Those are the guys that they're yep. concerned with. Yep. So that's just something I found annoying that I had to basically just not engage with people because I'm just like, you know what? I've done this before. I don't feel like doing it again. Um, yep. <laughs> Uh, I, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. There's a reason why he was a free agent for so long. He lasted through like three waves of free agency, I think, before the Browns signed him on a one-year deal. It's not yep. because he's some dynamic playmaker. No, and I mean, I think, so to the, on the Odell topic, because anybody that watches football, like realistically, um, not even dispassionately, but just like watches, uh, Richard Higgins isn't doing anything special. It's not he doesn't make mistakes. Like I've never seen him run a bad route. Mm-hmm. It just like he doesn't really get open, um, which is a problem. But what I would what I'll say about the Odell thing, because I think there's a lot of kind of like nonsense going around right now. Odell Beckham, even if he was not catching the ball, made this offense one would think better. I think he at least made the passing game more open, and I think he definitely made the running game more open. Where I think the problem with Odell was is Odell has always been given, and you do this with your best receivers, Jarvis has given this too, creative freedom in Mm -hmm. a sense that each route Odell runs, he probably has three to four options on each route. Mm -hmm. And Odell's a really smart receiver. Like People talk about this, that Odell can run all of those options perfectly. I think a big part of the problem is Baker didn't know where Odell was going to go because unlike Odell, Baker doesn't read defenses that well, mm-hmm. doesn't read coverage play. And so what I think was happening is Baker was staring down Odell because he didn't know where Odell was going to go, which made him late on all the other reads. Yes. I, I, I can agree with that. I, I definitely I think, can. So that'll go away. And I think against a defense like Cincinnati, Baker's going to look really good, right? Mm-hmm. Because he does he can just snap the ball, read the field, take a little bit of time, and then throw to the guy, the receiver that's open. The problem's going to be the second we face a good defense, um, so especially Pittsburgh and Baltimore again, but I even think Philadelphia is going to do this, they're going to narrow the field, the defense. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, who on this team do you have to respect torching the defense? M- maybe uh, Peoples-Jones, but we haven't seen enough of them yet. No, he made a fantastic catch at the at the end of the game this past Sunday. Uh, kind of surprised they didn't review that catch, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, 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 I thought the ball bounced and moved on his chest when his back hit the ground. But I'm not yeah. complaining. I'm just saying yeah, no. that when I saw it, I'm like, that ball does not look like it's secure. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I like Peoples Jones. Everything I've read about him seems good. He had no production at Michigan. A lot of people, even like not Browns fans, say that was probably because of how Harbaugh was using him. So I can accept that. He just seems like a very big unknown to me. That's why we drafted him in the sixth round. Yeah. So 
I don't think we have that burner. And I think what defenses are going to do is they're going to narrow the field. Mm -hmm. It's going to be significantly harder to run the ball, and it's going to be significantly harder to get away with play action. Yes. And the coaching – listen, I mean, the 49ers have done this, right, where they've figured out a way around that problem. Now, to be fair, it took Kyle Shanahan until really his second year, even with Garoppolo hurt, like he kind of figured it out. He did not figure it out his first year. By the second year, he kind of kind of learned how to scheme around that problem. And then the third year, they got Sanders, who solved that. And this year, they don't have it again, and Shanahan's doing a great job. I, I don't necessarily know that Stefanski is ready yet to deal with that. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. My gut is that becomes a problem against better defenses. And, uh, yeah, I will have to agree with you on that because um, let's be honest here. Uh, as much as people love Baker and that he's, you know, that's my QB. He does his little dances in the locker room after the game. He's a limited quarterback. That's what he is. Well, right. And the way around this problem is if Baker can throw guys open on the edges of the field. Mm-hmm. He's never been able to do that his entire career. Correct. At least he's a pro. He was in college, but we're not in college anymore. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, now, I don't know where you stand on on this particular take, but this is this is where I'm at here when it comes to Baker Mayfield and Odell and the whole dynamic between the two. I'm I'm working on something. I'm going to elaborate on it more, but essentially. The Browns are a better team with Odell Beckham Jr. However, Baker Mayfield's a better performing quarterback without Odell Beckham Jr. 100%. That's exactly how I feel. Literally 100% how I feel. Okay, because there there are lots of wild takes going on and people trying to lay blame on certain things, and I'm just like, I'm sorry, this is the fact of the matter. Uh... Odell makes Baker a worse player, but some of the things that you've outlined about, you know, all the options and routes could definitely be playing a factor into why Baker has played worse with Odell than he does with other receivers, but it's, I I don't know how much information people need to to say that this is a definitive fact, because it is. Uh, We we have a season and a half, almost, of, of data here. Yep. And it's more than enough for me. Going both ways. Yeah going both ways yeah i mean i think and this is my fear is my guess is baker's numbers will look better the second half of this season yes again largely because i think you're right i think baker is better without odell i don't necessarily buy it's the odell's personality i really think it's just baker doesn't know what routes odell can run at, which is a baker problem yes but it makes him slower to read the field so i think i honestly do believe that problem will go away and Baker's going to have pretty solid numbers the rest of the season. That doesn't mean Baker's a good quarterback, right? Yes. It's, and it's important I to think, distinguish the difference here that I, I'm yeah, not sure people will be able to. I, I think the coaching staff also rec- and the management also recognizes this because what Stefanski keeps saying in press conferences is, is it's my job to get these receivers open for Baker. Mm-hmm which to me sounds like a coach. And even if you listen to what he said about Kirk Cousins, right? Like Stefanski would always say, like, Kirk Cousins has a good enough arm where he throws receivers open. He's not giving Baker that same praise. I, I think that 
I really think Baker is fighting for his job the rest of this season. And I don't think even if he plays better the second half, it's a guarantee he keeps it going into next year. I, I absolutely agree. Uh, as, as fun as you know what we saw on Sunday was, uh, the fact of the matter is the week before happened. That was real. That counts. That matters. Yep. Well, and, and here's he, the other thing. Like, you're not going to trade Odell. Like, nobody wants a receiver on off a torn ACL. So whether people like it or not, Odell Beckham Jr. will be starting day one for the Browns next season. Mm-hmm. And if he's anywhere close to as good as his talent is now, you are going to need to have a quarterback that can throw the ball to him. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll, I'll leave you uh, with one yes or no question here. Then I'll let you add on whatever else you would like to about this okay. particular topic. Are Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. compatible? My answer to that question is a soft no because of everything I've said. Now, Baker could really improve the rest of the season. I don't think that will happen, but it's plausible. And then next season starts and he takes everything he learned second half of this season and then really studies where Odell can run against what coverages and addresses all that, and then the answer is yes. Because I don't think it's a personality thing. Like, I really do believe there's actually, like, good vibes between Odell, Jarvis, and Baker. Mm -hmm. Like, everything that's been said, it just ends up being too much said in the positive direction for me to think that's not true. I do think where there's a personality difference is I think Odell and Jarvis both want nothing more than to win football games. Yes, Again, Odell has been completely honest. Like, Odell is willing to sacrifice targets and stuff if the team's winning. And I think he's shown that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not saying it's not. Baker does not seem to demonstrate that same type of competitiveness to me. His competitiveness seems like he wants to prove doubters wrong. And I don't know if that personality is compatible. And I think the Browns have a lot of that Baker-type personality. And I think that's a big problem when, I mean, I think I can count on two hands the number of guys on the Browns that are like Jarvis and Odell in terms of their desire to win. Mm -hmm. But when it's quarterback and receiver, I think that's much more of a problem than anywhere else. So it's a soft no. Obviously, things can change. I just think it's unlikely that they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just I, I personally feel that they're not compatible. Uh, I felt yeah, like again, this, a soft no for me. Yeah, I, I I felt like this for quite some time, and what we've seen this season has only showed me even more evidence that they are not compatible players. Right. Uh, yeah, Odell had that awesome game against Dallas. Uh, but part of that was because of Odell. Yeah, like a lot of that was because of Odell. It was not because of Baker. It was Odell well, and coach. And uh, I believe Odell caught a, a touchdown from Landry, right? Right, yes. Yeah, so uh, uh, Odell did some great things, but... uh, Odell's actually having a great season. Like, if you look at his numbers and look at... Like, Baker's missing him a lot, and he's having a great season. Again, I think the problem is Baker. And that makes everything else a big problem. It really does, because everything starts and stops with the quarterback position. And if the quarterback's not getting it done, that's when you have problems. Yep. And they, uh, while they are five and two, there are problems that exist. I mean, I've watched a lot of football this year because on weekends I really don't have anything else to do during COVID. Mm-hmm. And what I have seen is that the Browns field me 
like a one of the better coach teams in the NFL, but because the talent just isn't there, they feel like kind of a middle of the pack, like upper middle of the pack team. I think just given the seventh playoff spot, it's at this point likely that they make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to be a team that ever has any chance of competing for to even really get past the first, second round. I mean, because the, their first game that they're going to play, it's either going to be against the Chiefs, Steelers, or Ravens. Right, they're going to get whooped. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> I, I don't... And even if they're the sixth seed, mm-hmm. right, and then they're playing the Steelers probably, like, we just saw what happened when they played the Steelers. And I think coaching could improve from that game, and I think it will, and they're still going to get whooped by the Steelers. The mm-hmm. talent just isn't there. There's, there's a huge talent gap. Huge. And... That's that's something that I also uh, tweeted out earlier today, and I'm like, they beat the bad teams like they're supposed to. That's good. Progress. Yeah, I'll take. Trust me, I'll take that. Yeah, I, I will take it every day of the week because yeah. I've seen many years of the Browns when they play against a much inferior team, lay an egg and and lose. I mean, uh, perfect example is last week or last year, week 17 against the Bengals. They played like yep. they played terribly. In that game. They should not have lost to the Bengals in that game. But they did. Yep. So I'm not complaining about them being the bad opponents. It's just perspective is needed. And so the perspective there is they beat bad opponents. They beat the bad opponents. But when they played the only good two opponents, it wasn't even close. I I saw somebody on Twitter post talking about like, oh, well, the Titans were kind of like the Browns last year. And they made it to the AFC uh, championship and they did fair put up a really good game against the Chiefs. But my response is that Titans roster is much better than this Browns roster. And that defense and like, was really good last year. That's my point. Like yeah. that defense is, was phenomenal. I I think Chubb and Henry are about even. I know Henry sometimes has more yards. I I think Chubb actually may be the better runner. Um, but I, it can go either way. Mm-hmm. Tannehill is also just a much better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. Yeah, and... like he is. We've seen it for a year now. Like he is. Yeah. Absolutely agree right. on, on, We're not on the channel thing. I, and, and it's a. And the the one thing uh, I believe that the Titans have managed to uh, you know cultivate and generate there is a is a culture. They've taken on the identity of Mike Rabel. They they really have. They've bought into everything that he's, uh, you know, preaching and trying to get them to do. There are still a lot of guys on this team that are doing things that they probably should not be doing. Yep. And uh, something that uh, we chatted about uh, this past Sunday was the Browns celebrating the turnover when they're still losing the football oh, game. Uh, you're you're losing. <laughs> there, there are two guys that aren't celebrating. Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward. And that's... I, I mean... You're losing the game. Like, get to the sidelines, start resting, because you're going to have to go on the field again. Yeah. yeah. They're losing. They were on the brink of being down two touchdowns at that point, was it? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I don't have a pro- any problem at all with celebrating if you're winning, right? And if, like, you're playing a solid game and you're winning, great. The defense was playing, like, trash. And they got a turnover. And then they celebrate, and they were down. Like, don't celebrate. Get off the field. It's just childish. 
Yeah, it was just... It was not good. It was not good, and it's just... It's about knowing, I guess, the time and place. And yep. there are still, I feel like, a lot of guys that do not know the time and place yet. I mean, did you watch when we beat the Colts, after we beat the Colts, and they were interviewing Sheldrick Wine, and he honestly seems like a great kid, and I actually think he's played well this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially for bat, I actually think he probably should be playing a little bit more. But anyways, they asked him, like, are, are you happy? And he's like, yeah, I'm happy. And then they said, oh, like, do you guys celebrate after win like this? And he said, well, on Monday we're back at practice, but yes, today we're going to be celebrating. And I'm like, listen, great job. You beat a good team. When we beat the Colts, that's the best team we've beaten this year. You're not even halfway through the season. Like, you should be proud of yourself. You should believe after a win like that, but you don't need to celebrate. In my mind, maybe yeah. I'm wrong. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not arguing. Uh, it's 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 essentially just. I understand being excited, beating a team that I don't think anyone thought they were going to beat at the time, mm-hmm. uh, but it's about, it's not just about the single game, yeah, the single game matters, but it's it's about the, the full season. What, what you don't yep. want is being on a, a team that, you know, they win a game, they celebrate, but the reality is that look, they're like one and eight, but they won a game, so they're celebrating, and it's just like you're gonna see all the you know the older vet guys being like, "We're one and eight. What the fuck are you doing?" Well, and that's the culture <laughs> of the team. Like I will say, I, I didn't. The, I think the offensive line is all about business. Like everything I've seen from them in interviews seems like they're just a very serious group. Mm-hmm. And I think most of the guys this new regime has drafted are more or less all about business. But we just have so many guys from this Dorsey regime. And we know Dorsey didn't care about this, right? Like, he was very upfront about it. He didn't care. Mm-hmm. But now we have too many guys like that. Yeah. And that's a problem that's going to take a few years to fix. Yeah, it's it's not, it's not an overnight thing. Uh, a lot of people... Just expected that. Oh, we got Stefanski in here. We got Andrew Barry. Things are things are fixed now. I'm like, no, no, they're not fixed. And to be fair to Stefanski and Barry, I think they both know that, right? Like, yeah, I actually think there's a reason I, Higgins wasn't playing, and I think it's because Higgins is very much kind of like this loose kind of, not necessarily super competitive, not necessarily all about winning personality. I think that's why. Mm-hmm. I think it's a large part of why. Yeah, and I, I'm not saying that Stefanski and Barry don't. It's just it's the outside perception from mostly from right. fans, honestly. Uh, right. Some some people that do um, you know write or tweet about the team a lot, or there are some people I think very much overestimated um, the immediate impact in in yep. in the off the field area. Yep, one hundred percent. I I agree, and I I think. I mean, you and I have talked about this. I, I think it's going to take a while to change. I mean, McVeigh went to a Rams team that was awfully coached by Jeff Fisher. But mm-hmm. to be fair, kind of in that last year of Fisher, they really started to kind of change the culture. So it was still a three-year project, right? Yeah. In San Francisco, it was a three-year project. I think fixing the culture is a three-year project, and every year you need to stay committed to that. 
So I remember two years ago when everybody was picking the 49ers to do really well. They were going to be like the comeback team of the year. And obviously Garoppolo got hurt. But I remember before the season, they interviewed Kyle Shanahan. I remember Kyle Shanahan saying, like, listen, we were a 4-12 and team last year. There's a lot we need to fix. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of talent that needs to change. And we're going to try to win every game. But it's going to take a while to fix the culture. And then when they interviewed him going into the third year, he said, I finally feel like we have a group of guys unified around a single goal. Mm-hmm. I think it takes three years at a minimum. And it's it, like they may make the playoffs this year. I, I think it is unlikely next year they make the playoffs unless something surprising happens just because I think the schedule is going to be harder. Well, and it it should be. Um the the thing that I'm being very cautious about, you know, future with this team is that on on one hand they are winning games, and in any other division they'd either be in first or second place, pretty much. Yeah. However, I think that they could at the same time, find themselves in a favorable situation schedule-wise next year because of the division that they play in. They might oh, still get they might still get a third place schedule. Right, that's interesting. Yeah, for some of those teams, I mean, yeah, they're gonna have to you know play whoever their divisional opponents are next year. You know, or uh, you know when they play, you know, uh, you know AFC West or whoever they're gonna be playing. I know it's not. Their I team. think it's the East. I think it's it, AFC. Yeah. No, AFC East was yeah, yeah. It's AFC East next year. Yeah, but you you know what I'm saying. Though. Whoever that yeah. group of opponents is. They're still going to play those, but then the other teams are going to be the third best team out of that division. Third best, so I think they will benefit from that. But the important thing to keep in mind is that they are playing against those other third place teams, because right. because I've seen this exact same situation play out, in particular with the Detroit Lions. Yep. 100%. They'll have that's a great comparison. They'll have a good season playing a soft schedule. Everyone will think this team is good. They're going, you know, they make it to a playoffs. They lose to like the Saints, whoever, whoever they always lose to when they made the playoffs like eight years ago. I think it was yeah. the Saints twice. <laughs> it might have been the Cowboys once. Um, but they'll play a playoff game. They think, oh, we're back. We're, we're the Lions are back. We're good. We don't have to do all that much. They, you know, they do basically more of a maintain than improve, and then. When they get that harder schedule, you know the second place schedule for them, they're playing tougher opponents, and then they go five eleven. Yep. No. And I my again, just I think the 49ers are just kind of a model franchise in a lot of ways for how they kind of built this team up. So I'm just I know I talk about them a lot, but the 49ers again two years ago, so the year Garoppolo got hurt and they went I think four and twelve or five and eleven, everybody was picking them for the playoffs. Very similar to the Browns last year. And what the 49ers didn't do, which is what the Browns did do, is the Browns made a bunch of win-now moves, right? Trading for Odell Beckham. Trading for Olivier Vernon. And they weren't actually ready. Yeah. 49ers didn't do that. And I think the Browns, I think next year is really pivotal. The Browns in the draft need to approach this draft like we're going to take the best player available 
at the biggest position of need. Um, now, do I think had like all the offensive linemen gone in the first nine picks this year, I think the Browns probably would have taken CeeDee Lamb or Isaiah Simmons, but that wasn't the reality. So obviously there's stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think very likely what the Browns will need to do is draft a player for the secondary or a linebacker early on. And maybe a receiver too. But there are clear holes on this team. And what the Browns need to make sure they're doing is not drafting a player that's ready to play now, but drafting a player that's going to be the best at the position five years from now. Like that you could have best at the position you could have drafted. I think that's what they did with Jedrick Wills, right? Jedrick Wills was not considered the most NFL ready guy coming out, especially because he had to switch spots. Mm-hmm. But they picked him because they thought after he learned how to play left tackle, he would be the best. And they just got to keep kind of that strategy. If they don't, if you see them make a series of win move, win now moves this offseason, I will be very scared of the Detroit scenario. Part of that also is moving on from Baker. Yeah, the the Baker uh, aspect of the entire thing is is, is very important. Uh, but it's they there there like you said there are very specific needs that this team has, and. Let's be honest, it's the defensive side of the ball. Uh, yeah, mainly. It, mainly defense. It, it, outside of quarterback, it's all defense. Um, I would say receiver, too. Um, but I think I am probably lower on our group of receivers than most. Outside of the top two, um, I've, I feel that the receivers for the Browns are uh, replaceable uh, for the most yeah. part. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I'm not willing to say, oh, Donovan Peoples-Jones isn't going to be anything, or, or he will be something. I mean, he's a... We don't know. He, he's I mean, a, he's, a, he's a question mark. He's a, He might be something, or he might yeah. be, you know, uh, Damian Ratley two years from now. Well, and right. And so, I guess what I was trying more getting at is that the Browns, like, even if they move on from Baker, yeah. Nick Chubb, Miles Garrett obviously already has one, but then Nick Chubb, Denzel Ward... And very likely, even if not Baker, some of the offensive linemen who are playing really well are going to get new deals. Mm-hmm. The cap eventually catches up to you. They're go- they're going to need to get rid of some of this long-term money. And I think it's going to be Odell and or Jarvis that move on. And so I think receiver may not be a hole next year. But two I years think from now. It could, two years from now, it could be a huge hole, which is why I would add it to kind of those like possible needs. Yeah, it's about being proactive, not reactive, and that's something right. that we have not seen uh, the Browns really do uh, ever <laughs> and, uh, except since for they've Harrison been back. Bryant, baby. Except for Harrison Bryant, but uh, let's see, Odell Beckham Jr.'s dead cap next year is still twelve point seven million, but after that, yep. it's zero for the final two years of his deal. Uh, looking up. Mr. Jarvis Landry's contract, I believe it's something similar, but I think it's a little bit more friendly. Um, so he has a 17.5 dead cap this year, but $3 million next, 1.5 in 2022 in the final year of his contract. Yeah. So they become... Uh, Jarvis is tradable next year. Right. Uh, Beckham is tradable after next year. Right, uh, right. But being proactive would be uh, a good thing for this front office to do. And just because they have Beckham and Landry doesn't mean that they shouldn't go draft, you know, draft a wide receiver at right. some point. 
because... I'm not saying it should be their first pick unless there's just some receiver that is so amazing available whenever they're picking, right? But Yeah, like if, if the top receiver falls into their hands and their options are draft a receiver, draft, you know, the fourth best linebacker or... Second best uh, safety or what something like that. Yeah, yeah it, or yeah. or trade down, take the receiver. I mean, right. you, we saw what the I mean the Cowboys are a dumpster fire this year, but I mean they could have opted for a defensive player. They took C.D. Well, Lamb when they I, have Amari Cooper really and Michael Gallup. I think that was really smart because now they can trade Michael Gallup for probably a lot. Yeah, and C.D. Lamb's going to be better. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree, and. You said his name in the in the being proactive portion here, but Harrison Bryant. Let's talk about Harrison Bryant. Yeah. He's I mean, the I, best tight end on this team already. Yeah, yeah, I, I think. So I think he is very good at everything. Mm-hmm. I think right now Austin Hooper is probably a better run blocker, but Bryant's still very good at it. And what Bryant does is just find space. He is like, you, you know, in like soccer, like you'll have kind of those midfielders or sometimes even a striker that just they find space. And that's what Harrison Bryant does. He just he gets open, but it's not super open, but he finds space where the quarterback can throw him open very easily. Yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll find himself in a spot where there's nobody particularly close to him and it's not a difficult throw for the quarterback to make. Yeah, and he's done it every game this season. Yeah, everywhere on the field. A- absolutely, and he's he's going to be, I think, the key uh, to this offense moving forward, at least the passing aspect and he, the running aspect. Well, well, he's yeah. a really good run blocker. He's not as good as Hooper, but he's really good. Well, I guess meant from from the receiving aspect. I guess. Oh, oh, uh, yes, a hundred percent. The receiving 100%. aspect, I think, will be the, the the key to the offense moving forward. You know, I, I do think Jarvis Landry is going to see an uptick in production as well, but. Uh, I think Harrison Bryant's going to be uh, the person that they need to, I don't want to say focus or build their offense around, but someone they need to incorporate on a fairly consistent, uh, trying to think of the word, uh, just also fairly consistently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, and I really think that, I, I don't think Harrison Bryant will ever be like a Kittle or a Kelsey I don't think you will be that much of a game changer, but I think you will be very high in that second tier of tight ends, mm-hmm. like kind of a Jason Witten was, right? These guys that are just still key weapons and could be the best receiving option on any team. Mm-hmm. Again, not not just like the like I think George Kittle has an argument to be one of the top five biggest game changers in the NFL, at least non quarterback game changers, and. I don't think Harrison Bryant's going to be that good, but I think Harrison Bryant's going to be really good. And I think the really cool thing is he and Austin Hooper together, I mean, that will guarantee the Browns have a good running game no matter what happens with Chubb or with – like even now with Hunt, and you didn't see it last week, but you saw it against the Colts after Chubb went down, Mm -hmm. that Hunt just – or yeah, yeah, it was the Colts game where Hunt was – they would use – the two tight ends as blockers and Hunt had a field day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's really. I, 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 the question is, how much can they get for David Njoku, and when is he getting traded? Because at this point, even if it's a seventh round pick, 
I think he's got to go. Uh, I take it. Literally just, you know, once, of course, Austin, I mean, Austin has got to come back. Uh, yep. Uh, I imagine he'll be back after the bye week. Uh, same with yeah, Nick Chubb. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Same yeah. with Nick Chubb. I imagine they'll both be just getting that extra week of rest uh, to recover and, you know, kind of work their way back a little bit. But, yep. I mean, David Njoku's expendable. First of all, he, he was expendable before. Um, yeah, you didn't need Harrison Bryant. <laughs> uh, he's 100% expendable now. Yep. Um, he's made two trade requests. Um, and I just, I feel that if they can get anything for him, and I don't know what they're going to get for him. Uh, I don't know what their, I guess, demands or expectations were. Uh, I, I did remember hearing over the summer they had outrageous expectations for a return. Yep. But. I mean, so who's going to want David Njoku? It's going to be a team that is either in the playoff hunt or a playoff team. Not because of Njoku, but like that's the only person that's only team that's going to trade for a tight end with two years left on his deal. Mm-hmm. I heard the Patriots. I. First off, I don't necessarily think they're in that situation, but I also cannot imagine Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels thinking David Njoku is the solution to their problems. I don't believe, you know, um, even if the Patriots were in the market for a tight end, which I don't believe they are, because they just drafted two of them this past yep. this past draft, um, Njoku is not a, a Patriots-type tight end. No. He's not. Right. So, so it's not going to be the Patriots. So who else is it going to be? People are saying it could be the 49ers and have him as the backup to Kittle. I actually could see that. I could see the 49ers being like, this guy's a backup. Mm-hmm. And they'd offer a sixth, seventh round pick for him. You know who I could see with this who? because of their recent injuries? Philly. Yeah, that would be another team. Uh, because Goder's still out, right? I think so, but Zach Ertz just got hurt, so. Yeah. So they are. <laughs> Whether they want a minute or not. I mean, Goder was playing really well, like, the first game or two of this season. And then I know he got hurt. I don't know how long he's out for. But, yeah, they could be a team. And they need a lot of tight ends. They use a very different offense than the Browns, but it's still an offense that requires a lot of tight ends. Let's see. It looks like uh, Dallas Goddard is targeting Week 10 comeback. Okay. And what about Ertz? Is he out for the year? I think they IR'd him. But it, remember, it's we, they can recall him after three weeks. Right. So, Yeah, they could be a team. Again, though, Philly's not given more than a sixth, seventh-round pick for him. I mean, no one's going to give. Uh... Right. There's not a team that I think is like on the cusp of being great, and they just have no tight ends. No, it, it's, is... it's a team essentially looking um, to patch a hole. For... Yeah, they're they're looking for a either at best a utility player or a backup. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get. I mean, maybe they could get a fifth round pick with like a or like a pick that conditions right a conditional fifth. Yeah. Um. But that's it. I just i I don't I don't know what value he's bringing you outside of just a guy that eats up snaps right now which you're not even going to need like part of the reason Andy Janovich isn't playing as much is because Harrison Bryant's been so good Mm -hmm. so like 
I, I just don't know, like, if Bryant or Hooper are hurt, it, you're probably going to just replace Njoku with Janovic and Carlson, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't know what they can get for him, but I feel like he's got to go. Yeah, and, and I looked up his stats on the year. Uh, if you were just purely looking at uh, Brown's Twitter and the way that they talk him up, you think this guy would have like 20 catches for, you know, 300 yards and seven touchdowns, okay? He has seven but- catches for 83 yards and two touchdowns. He had two catches for 20 yards against, against the Bengals last week. Yeah. I mean... And he had, uh, in the month of October, he has four catches for 33 yards. Yeah, so. Yeah. No, he's not a good, like, he's fine. He, the idea of David Njoku is much, much better than the reality. Because he is. He's a phenomenal athlete. But he doesn't show it on the field, so what does it matter? It's, I mean, you know where I am with him. I've been someone who... First of all, I've been done with Njoku for a long time, but the it's it's about realizing that a player is no longer the prospect you thought he was, right? And that's that's it's what Njoku is, right? It, people would say, "Oh, he's only twenty four years old." I'm like, "Okay, well, this is year this is year four for Njoku." Yep. Is that what this is? Year, or year yeah, three? I think it's- he was drafted the year before Baker, so Baker. This is year four. This is year four. Yes, this is year four for Ninjoku. But it's 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 nothing that I, I've seen from Ninjoku that says yes. This this guy right. is this guy is someone he, that they need to keep. This is someone he's they, never they had a good run pay. of games. He's never had a good run of games in four years. People are like, oh, well, Baker's first. He's, no, he didn't have a good run of games. Baker had a good run of games. And, and even in his good run of games, he really didn't, quote-unquote, good run of games. Let's be honest yeah. here. His, his season total on, on that year was not as impressive as people would lead you to believe. No, no, he was not good. I, I just, I don't. Because he finished with 56 catches for 639 yards and four touchdowns. The way people talk about him, you would imagine those numbers would have been doubled. Well, and he was also a horrid blocker. And he still is. <laughs> he still is. He's not improved. That's why he's not seen as many snaps. Yeah, I mean, it, we looked it up beforehand. It was 40% of snaps in the Cincinnati game where their starting tight end was out. Didn't even see the field on half the snaps. Uh, like, it, was, it was It was 60%. He played. Okay, so it was slightly over half the snaps still. Like, yeah, they played. They had fifty-two total offensive plays. He he was in on thirty-one of them. Harrison Bryant was in on forty. Right. Uh, Carlson was in on nine. Uh, Janovich was in on nine. So, yep, yep. No, exactly. I I just I don't. I, I think that we'll make a move at the trade deadline. I, I think more likely than not, it will not be a Njoku trade because I just, I don't think there's a market for him. I My think, guess is I think a, a lot of people have overestimating any potential market for David Njoku. Yeah. My guess is he will get, or my guess is the Browns will make a trade for a young guy on a rookie deal. Like I actually saw the Jets are shopping Quinn and Williams 
who, to be fair, has been horrible. Not not necessarily horrible, but he's a run-stuffing defensive tackle. Like, I don't know what you're expecting. And that the Jets will are willing to trade him for a third-round pick. I don't think the Browns would do that trade, but I think Browns will look for guys like that that are still on the rookie deal, were high potential rookies, like a Ronnie Harrison, honestly, who, by the way, why is he not seeing the field more? He's like the best pass defending safety on the team. I don't know. Uh, let me pull up the snap counting because I just went away I mean, from it. Uh, sorry. Oh, yeah, you're, just, oh you're fine. Uh, let's see. Ryan Harrison. Like he was great, and like he seems like he's never on the field. He played 63 of the 75 snaps, so he's on the okay, field for, so for 84%. But that, also, uh, the the giant, uh, glaring, gaping hole on the secondary, Andrew Sandejo, played the same amount of snaps as Harrison. So, why, I, I mean, I, I get, like, part of this defense is the double single high, or, like, the two high safeties, or the single high, where one safety is playing as a linebacker, but generally they're both playing out in coverage. Like, I get that. I don't understand like why Harrison and Carl Joseph or Harrison and Redwine aren't playing together. Like I don't know what Sandejo is doing out there. And I haven't read an article which you usually see like when a Browns player is playing bad, somebody like a Terry Pluto is going to come out with an article about like what they're actually doing. There hasn't been that article about Sandejo. Like he just seems to like do nothing. Yeah, uh, you know the the people trying to uh, to boost up somebody type of article. Right. Um, like we've had them about BJ Goodson this year, who, like to be fair, has been fine for what he is. Like I, yeah. I didn't expect anything different. He, he's playing better than I thought he would. Um, yeah. You know the the fact he has first of all more than one interception on the year is very surprising. Yeah. Um I think BJ Goodson's playing really well. I, Malcolm Smith was a very sneaky pickup by this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, by this front office, and uh, I, I would even go on the limb and say he's been their best linebacker this year. I, I think the two best linebackers that we play are Malcolm Smith and B.J. Goodson, and I actually think like they have been surprisingly good. I thought this linebacker group was going to be just horrid, and I actually think as far as linebackers go, they've been pretty solid. Um, I think Mac Wilson and Sione Takitaki, after they finish the rookie deals, will never see an NFL snap again. They are horrible. Yeah, uh, it, it looks like forward. those those guys are on their way out. Malik Wilson only played 31 snaps, uh, and Taki Taki played 12. Um, I mean, I, I think the best move would be getting, like, in the draft, one of these coverage linebackers. I mean, even as early, like, usually those types of, like, 4-3 linebackers coverage guys mm-hmm. or, like, strong safety types don't go in the first round, which is fine. It, so trade either up into the second or whatever and just get like i i am sure every year there's like six to seven coverage linebackers that are drafted between the second and third rounds that tend to be really really good players right and i mean just draft one of those guys and then move malcolm smith or bj goodson to a kind of a rotational role yeah i i think that's what we're when they finally you know do address linebacker position when they do draft you know, uh, a guy or two or sign somebody, I think that it'll be some sort of B.J. Goodson, Malcolm Smith, uh, complimentary, I don't want to say rotation, yep. say that they're swapping him in and out, but I, I think those two will be playing shared time, if not just with each other, but with somebody, with someone else as well. Yep. But I don't think that big picture long term that either of these guys are 
multiple year starters, especially Smith since he's uh, a little bit older now. But uh, what I was going to look up before we got into the defensive snap counts was you mentioned Quinn and Williams. Um, I've seen conflicting reports about Quinn and Williams. Um, the initial report being from, uh, I cannot even pronounce this guy's name, uh, Manish Meta. Yeah. Uh, that was the initial report. Uh, there was a subsequent report from Connor Hughes, who covers the Jets the for the Athletic, yeah. uh, saying they are not shopping him. From what I know, um, about, uh, Mr. Manish Mehta, if that is how you say his name, I have no idea how to say it. My apologies. Uh, he is not to be taken seriously. Okay. Um, okay. I think at one point, or it might be, still be now, I think his credentials were pulled from the Jets. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, I mean, my point, it didn't necessarily need to be Quentin Moore. It could have been any yeah. like, guy like that. Like, yeah, you know, but I, I, I just wanted to field. make sure you were yeah. aware. But it, it. he's... I wasn't. It, Oh, it's fine. So, uh, think of him as uh, Tony Grossi without credentials. Got it, got it. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think the other thing, to me, I, I may be wrong here. I feel like defensive tackles just generally take a little bit longer to become stars. I think they enter as, like, solid players, usually especially once taken high. But it takes them two to three years to become, like, elite. And so, I, I think it would be stupid to give up on Quinn and Williams right now. Mm-hmm. Like, personally, I just think it would be dumb. Like, get a real head coach in there because Adam Gase is right now the worst coach in football. Which, you don't, wait, you don't understand how excited I am to say they're, the Browns have a, not only do they have a good coach, but they don't have the worst coach in football. It's the Jets. It's the Jets. When's the last time we could say that about the Browns? Uh... Probably had something when the Jets hired somebody. Like, when, no, Rex Ryan was good there. At least for a while. Yeah. Uh, when the Browns had Petten? Was that the last time we could say they didn't have the worst coach in football? Yeah, and I don't know that Petten was ready to be a head coach. And I think really 2014 was Kyle Shanahan. I agree. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. Petten was not the worst. I actually think Petten may get a job in the next few years because Green Bay's defense looks good. I think if there's three defensive coaches that are hired in the next two years. Patton's one of them. I think the other two are uh, the guy from Eberflus in Indy mm-hmm. and Staley from Los Angeles. I think those are like the only three defensive coaches that I could see getting a head coaching job. So yeah. I think Patton's going to get something. Sorry, side note. I got uh, distracted. Oh, oh, it's fine. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the Jets are a dumpster fire. And... <laughs> yeah. Um, and to your point about defensive tackles, very few of them uh, come out and uh, are stars or dominate from from the start. Uh, I can only think of like Sue and Aaron Donald, uh, right? You know, coming in being impact players from you know day one. Right. Um, speaking of defensive tackles on the Browns, uh, Larry Ogunjobi, has your opinion on him changed? I mean, my opinion on Larry Ogunjobi has been the same opinion I've had since we drafted him, which is more or less the same opinion I have on Jordan Elliott. He is a solid pass-rushing defensive tackle. I think that he is probably going to get overpaid, and I don't think that will be by the Browns. He's fine. Like, he's... I I actually am more impressed with Sheldrick... Or Sheldrick. Sheldon Richardson than Mm -hmm. I am with Ogunjobi. 
but the Browns don't have like Ogan Joby is actually if you watch Sue now or like in his last year with the Rams, yeah, he's kind of that type of guy. Like he'll get pass rush, but he is not like an interior pass rusher if that makes sense. He's not Aaron Donald like defense doesn't game plan for him. Yeah, I mean, is that like wrong? Do do people disagree with that? No, I was just wondering because uh, you know I I do believe he's played better. He's played better than I thought he would this year. Uh, okay. Considering where he was at the end of last year, where he he did, did put on more weight this year, which I've noticed. Where he didn't like in muscle. He didn't particularly look good uh, last season. I do think no. he's better this season. And I know you weren't necessarily the biggest uh, Ogunjobi fan. That's why I wanted to ask your uh, yeah your opinion on it. Um, no, he's been better this year, hundred yeah. percent. I, I also just think, uh, what's his name, Wil- Wilkes? Who's that? Yeah, Wilkes was the defensive coordinator last year. I, I, I think his scheme is like from ancient times. Like if you go to the Museum of Natural History in Cleveland, you'll see his defensive scheme up there. <laughs> like that scheme was, just, and I knew it when they hired him too. Like mm-hmm. this guy doesn't pass rush, and he doesn't put any corners in a man coverage. It's, like, designed for a high school team. Like, and guess what? It was terrible. So it's not surprising me because I think Woods is, I don't think he's great, but he's been fine. Yeah, Woods, um, I, Woods has been, I have no complaints about Joe Woods' uh, defense, really. Uh, only complaints would be the amount of time really given to Sandejo. Uh, I, I, do know... also, I don't think he's creative. Like, that's part of my, like, I just think he's, like, fine. Like, he doesn't call wrong. He's just not creative. I, I can agree with that. Uh, on one hand, uh, a lack of uh, quality talent on the defensive side of the ball is sure. going to hinder him. Uh, Grant Delpit sure. not being there definitely makes an impact. Um, yep. You know, <clears throat> uh, I think Ronnie Harrison hasn't played every game either. No, he is not. And uh, to be fair, I think... Yeah, I, I agree with you on Sandejo. I, I don't know what's going on. There has to be something going on. Like, this coaching staff seems too on it to me to, like, just be playing this guy that's terrible. I, I just don't know what that reason is, and it drives me crazy. I, I mean, if there's if there's one uh, unifying thing that everyone that watches the Browns or on, on Browns Twitter uh, can say, it's that Andrew Sandejo is bad. He's terrible. Like... <laughs> And he it's not bad. for lack of effort. Like, you can see he's clearly trying on plays. He is just not athletic, and he doesn't read plays quick enough. So, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know if he's a good backup in the NFL. Like, he could potentially be a good coach. So, I'm, I'm looking. I was just curious of what uh, his grade on pro football focus was. Oh, he's got to be terrible. Uh, 44.7. Yeah, that, that's uh, about fitting. Uh the, the color is orange. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, PFF updated their grading scheme this year, and I actually am finding myself agreeing with it more than I have in years past. Um, just, I, I'm getting more frustrated that everybody's like, oh, analytics, like, look at PFF grades. Like, no, no. It, it, I could give a PFF grade. Like, <laughs> it's just somebody that watches every play and then gives a grade. It's not, there's nothing analytics about it. Yeah. Um, so, like a PFF grade doesn't mean Baker was the third best quarterback this week. It, it's just somebody watched him play. That's a grade they gave him. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. Yeah, I, it's 
I have my own. Uh, I've I've checked PFF out of amusement, uh, not for genuine information. I wanted to see. I was just curious to see if there's like some hidden hidden uh, PFF uh, like no, Sandejo truther out there. I think their secondary and coverage grades are actually always really good. Like, I, I pretty much agree with everything they put there. Um, but I think that's also something that's just, like, easier to watch and follow and then quickly give a grade to. Yeah. So what I was checking was uh, Sandejo's snap counts. Yeah. Uh, currently, he is on pace to play the highest percentage snap count of his entire career. Yep. Uh, 98% of snaps he has appeared in this season. The next highest in his entire career was 83% in 2016. But I don't understand why. Like, you're telling me Harrison couldn't play free safety because he plays free safety on a lot of plays, like, along with Sendejo. Yeah. He played, see, 14% with the Vikings last year, 23% with the Eagles, 31% with Minnesota the year before. I mean, I don't. I just don't understand, right? Like, I get we're running a nickel-based defense, which is fine. That's why you signed Kevin Johnson. Like, you have your nickel. It's not a safety. You're, they're still playing two safeties most plays. Sometimes three, but a lot of two. Like, I don't understand why if you're playing two safeties, Sendejo's in there. I, I wish I had an answer. I really Me too, do. because there's got to be something. Like... This coaching staff is way too smart, and like we've seen that this season, to just like suddenly think Sandejo's a good a, deserves to be playing every snap. So something's going on, and I don't know what it is, and it's driving me crazy. It, it has to be something like they don't. Think but he's that... not even like calling plays. Like that's BJ Goodson. Like if if the idea was Sandejo's the one that calls the plays, then my opinion totally changes. But You're, he's not. He, he's not. He's not doing uh, anything productive. Uh, he he was the reason uh, Cincinnati scored so easily on that fourth down at the end of the game. Yeah. Because uh, the what's mo- Demarius Randall up to? I'd rather have him than Sadejo. <laughs> you know what? And I agree with you. And uh, Demarius Randall's last season here was not good. Um, no, but it, it was substantially better than anything Sandejo's done. Demarius Randall is... He's on the Seahawks, apparently. Okay, I got the trade. Are you ready? Uh, I'm ready. Seahawks need, a t- Seahawks need a tight end. Trade for Randall. Trade Njoku for Demarius Randall. Straight up. Just a swap. Let's see. Because he started the season with the Raiders. They released right. him before the season started. Perfect. Um, it's low value. It's perfect. Elevated to the active roster for the Seahawks. Weeks four and five against the Dolphins and Vikings, and he was reverted back to the practice squad after each game. Perfect. So they don't even wait. He's on the practice squad. Can the Browns just sign him then? It's. Let's see. He was elevated or promoted to the active roster on October twenty first. I don't know if he's on the practice squad currently, but if he was. I would, uh, I would be all for it just because uh, I'm so tired of, of Andrew Sandejo. Uh, is he even playing? Is my next question. Uh, I mean, I guess he is. He has appeared on 18 snaps this season in three games. I, I mean, my view on Demarius Randall is he seemed like he was still friends with a lot of guys on that defense. Like even last year mm-hmm. when he was having all the issues, 
I think that was just coaching. Yes. Um, <laughs> like, it seems like he at least knows the team. Like, I don't think it would take him that long to adjust. And you could get him for David Njoku. Yeah. I'd do that could, in a heartbeat. Maybe even get a seventh-round pick along with him. There was Ramirez a... Randall, the seventh-round pick for David Njoku. There was a trade suggested in an article somewhere. I don't remember where it was. Let's see if I can find it. I, I screenshotted it because I was going to send it to somebody. One of my recently deleted... Um... Oh, here we go. And this guy is not even anyone noteworthy. It was a suggested trade for, it says, Browns trade David Njoku to 49ers for safety Tarvarius Moore. And I've yeah. never heard of Tarvarius Moore. No, he's really good. They're not doing that. The 49ers aren't idiots. Yeah, I know. I, I don't remember who he's posted playing that. because they have so many injuries. I, I think this is before he was actually even playing games is when that I mean, was posted. mean, he was good last year, too. Like, he's not great. He would be a huge upgrade over Sandejo. And Njoku would be their backup tight end. Let's see him. They have too many injuries, I think. I, I think they do now. I don't think he was playing at the time got when him, that was him, uh, suggested. He's still only playing seventeen percent of their snaps this year. He's mostly okay. special teams, so I don't uh, want to say I don't want to say expendable. But okay. that's another one. That's the type of move I think they could do for Njoku. I know people are suggesting Anthony Harris from Minnesota. Hey, I'd love Anthony Harris too. I love that too. He's. I'd also love to win the lottery. Right, like. <laughs> I think Anthony Harris would take a second-round pick and David Njoku. I mean, why would the Vikings even take David Njoku? I mean, they would probably just be in for draft capital, honestly. Uh, right, they're, yeah. They're, I mean, they're they're not... Or second and a fifth, something like that. Yeah, and David Njoku plus anything is not adding value to anything. It's it's David Njoku is uh, a, a salary cap burden to a team that is closer right. to blowing it up. I mean, right. there's a probably a decent chance they trade Kyle Rudolph uh, if some team really blows them away. I think they'll trade Anthony Harris. It'll just be like, it'll be Baltimore or Pittsburgh or somebody like that that realizes, wait, we can get this guy on a contract for four years and he's one of the best safeties in the NFL and we can get him for a second round pick. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Baltimore. Uh, Minnesota and Baltimore have already made a trade this season, and that's horrifying. Yeah, I mean, I think that trade was... People were crucifying Minnesota for it, and I get why, but they actually recouped a lot of the draft capital they lost. And for a team rebuilding, like, I think if Minnesota could redo what it did, it would have fired Zimmer and made Stefanski its head coach last offseason. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't do that because they were like, oh, well, we still have Gary Kubiak. And what's become very clear is Gary Kubiak was n- clearly not the offensive coordinator last year. He is not as good anymore. Yeah. Um, at Stefanski was doing most of the work last year. Yeah, and I'm... so they're going to blow it up. They're going to fire Zimmer. They'll. I, I actually could see them hiring like Eric Biennemi from Kansas City. I could too, but I don't know how he would fit with how that team is and I'd feel really bad for him ending up with the Vikings on a team that is just not not ready and not no. good. And uh, I hate to say it, chances are he'd probably be fired before he has a chance for that team to be good. So yeah. if I'm Eric Bieniemy, I do not talk to the Vikings. <laughs> I mean, no, I, 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 I don't I even... think Eric Bieniemy's going to go to Atlanta. Really is where I think he... Atlanta would be great. Atlanta would be great because that 
there's enough offensive pieces still there that he could do something. And they actually drafted, like, a few of the guys they've drafted, they're playing well for rookies this year. Like, the cornerback they took is supposed to be playing. I have not watched much of Atlanta, but... I haven't either. Yeah, I could see Atlanta being a, a good destination. Yeah, so basically he, what he needs to avoid is going to the Vikings or going to the Jets or um, the Lions if they fire Matt Patricia. Yeah. Uh, it, it, those are not good situations um, for him to go to. So, so I actually, now that you mentioned Lions, I saw something really interesting, which is this offseason the Browns trade for Matt Stafford. I and knew it. I, yeah, so my gut reaction <laughs> was like, oh, Stafford's old. But then my second reaction is he's old, but he's still actually a solid quarterback. Like he's not great. He's not going to by himself take you to the Super Bowl, but he doesn't make like stupid mistakes. I think he would fit very well in this offense. So he turns 33 in February. I mean, I give would I would give up a second round pick for him. I would too. I'd give up more than that. The I guess the only I don't want to say conflict or potential um he does not have a bad contract either, by the way. No, he doesn't. I know. Which is... And, I like, I actually think... I, I, now, I don't know what you do with Baker, because I don't think the Lions would take him. Although, maybe they would. It depends where they're drafting, I guess. But I think <clears throat> it probably costs you close to a first-round pick. Maybe even a little bit more than a first. Yeah, you, like, you would have to do something to make up for the dead cap Detroit would be taking on next year. Because yeah. he has a 2485 million dollar dead cap hit it goes down to just under 10 the following year but you would probably have to give them enough compensation to take on that dead money yeah so it may be two for i still would do it because i think stafford's going to be around for another five to seven years yeah uh he, he's definitely uh gotten out of uh the bones of glass uh situation he was early on in his career where it seemed yep. like he was just brittle um well, Will Baker ever be as good as Matt? Like, honestly, never. will he ever be as good as Matt Stafford is right now? Never. Will he be as good as Matt Stafford is, assuming no injuries, three to five years from now? Never. Right. So, like, I, I think Stafford's always been kind of in that 10 to 12 range for quarterbacks. Like, he's that, that's he's okay, always though. He's always been that tier below for me. And part like, of that, part of me also wonders, like, if he had a, ever had a good offensive coach and, like, good offensive talent all mm -hmm. in one, like, maybe he wouldn't have been as bad. Like, the years where, like, he and Calvin Johnson finally got, like, an O-line mm -hmm. and borderline decent head coach, they were awesome. Like, they lost to the Cowboys in that one game that they should have won. Yes. If not for a bad call. Like, that team was fun. Yeah. Yeah. That could, I mean, I saw that on Twitter, and at first I was like, there's no way the Lions do that. And I was like, well, I mean, if honestly, it may take a first and a second. I still do that trade. I'd do it. I would 100% do it. And my only question for you, mm -hmm. is Matt Stafford mobile enough to run this offense? I mean, I don't think you need a running quarterback in this that, offense. Baker doesn't he, really. I, not this, not, Jimmy G doesn't really run. I mean, I think, let me put it like this. I think Stafford is as mobile as Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay, let me rephrase it. Is he agile enough? Not mobile, doesn't need to run. Slightly, 
I think he's slightly less agile than Matt Stat or than Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay, I, so I think he. I think. I, I think he probably is fine. I imagine every other aspect of his game would be perfect for that. Like when I say perfect, I don't mean like Ryan Tannehill, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff type perfect. I mean like probably closer to the Aaron Rodgers end of perfect. Yeah, I mean um, my only question Rogers, was, but I think he fits so well. Was just uh, this isn't necessarily the offense he usually runs, and uh, adjustments the coaching staff would have to, I guess, make on their end, which. I, I yeah. know they, they are more than capable of making those type of adjustments, and those are the type of adjustments you make. I mean, like, this offense, the key thing you need is you need a quarterback that can diagnose run coverages mm-hmm. and can change the play at the line of scrimmage if it looks like they're run blitzing and can sell a play action and then pass well off the play action. And Matt Stafford excels at all three. He has limits to his game. I think his mobility slash agility is a limit. I mm-hmm. think his arm is not as strong as it once was. But, like, I mean, I think he would be... Fan- right, you're right. Like, he can't really move out of the pocket. So, like, I think you would have to cut down on the bootlegs a little bit. Yeah. But, but I, I think yeah. a lot of the bootlegs that they're installing in this particular offense is because of Baker. Baker, right. So no, exactly. I do think that they would cut down on them. They would make the adjustments on their end. Uh, You know... Given that they're not 100% committed to doing that, they're more flexible than we've seen right. uh, certain coaches. We, As we know, coaches sometimes get a little bit too stuck in with, this is what I do, this is my scheme, and I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. I don't think that these type of people are, but you know what? We don't know yet. I mean, what we, did, what we have seen is after Chubb got hurt, they've started running more gap scheme mm-hmm. than zone scheme because Hunt just doesn't have vision for zone. Correct. Um, so I, I think there is like a little bit of, I, I think they've shown they're flexible. I think you're right. Like, I, do I think this coaching staff would be flexible like the Patriots have been? No, I, I don't. But I think they may be flexible within the scheme, um, which puts you closer to kind of like the McVay who McVay was hired at. Everybody thought he'd be running a lot of 12 and 21 personnel. Realized he didn't have the talent for it and then went to zero like mm-hmm. fit, like five receivers um i think this staff is co- closer to that than to like the uh any of the uh, like the gary kubiak yeah he I, just I, like has one thing he does i think they could find a good like middle ground and find a way to to mesh uh, their ideas with the strengths of another with let's say if it was stafford if they got Stafford, they could find a way to to mesh the two that they get the best out of both I mean, I, like, I saw that trade, and I was like, it actually makes sense, right? The Lions are going to fire their head coach. They may very well fire their general manager, which means they're going to have a new team in that wants their own guy. They don't want 33-year-old Matt Stafford. Mm-hmm. And the problem is they may be too good to pick a quarterback and, like, to pick their own guy. So what do you do? You get a lot of assets, and either you combine those assets to draft your own guy or you save them mm-hmm. and you use them later. I mean, even if it was, like, at most, I could see being two first-round picks for 33-year-old Matt Stafford. And I still probably say yes to that trade. Yeah, I'd do it. I'd 100% do it. I'd be a little grumpy about it, but then it's like, you know, we probably will have a second, all of our second and third-round picks. Like, it's not the end of the world. If you get Matt Stafford, this team right now with Matt Stafford, 
It's still probably just five and two, but it's a much more convincing five and two. The passing game is more consistent, and it would be um, you would have a little bit more, I guess, pointing success in the direction of the quarterback, not necessarily the scheme or the coaches. Right, and I think the games against, or especially Pittsburgh, would have been closer. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think those games would have been closer. Uh, I don't think they'd win them, but I think they would be more competitive. Yeah, and I think that means this team with Matt Stafford, I could see being a ten and six, eleven and five team, very easily. Yeah, um, like very, very easily, and that's really good. I also think like he would work really well with Odell Beckham because Odell Beckham is Calvin Johnson light. Yeah, I mean he he's, he's played not as good, but similar. He's played with receivers similar to Beckham and Landry before. Yep. Uh, he's you know he played with Calvin Johnson. Um, yep. He's he's played with guys uh, like Golden Tate um, and Marvin Jones, and <clears throat> so he's played with successful receivers before, and you know receivers that have similar skill sets. Um, so yep. it, it would be it would be interesting. I I, I don't think that. Uh, I don't just I don't know what the Lions are doing, but I I do say or I do think that it's uh, imperative that the Browns maximize their current competitive window with the with these particular players at the skill positions. Well, and Stafford to me feels like a Jimmy Garoppolo move, like when the 49ers traded for Garoppolo, and that's. Like, I, I think that's the type of move the Browns need to make. And I know, like, I've seen a lot of names, like quarterbacks that could be available this summer. I, I would be shocked if Atlanta trades Matt Ryan. They owe him too much money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's no way. And I think I could see Dak Prescott, because I don't think Dallas wants to pay him. And I could see Matt Stafford is kind of the two big names that may move. And I will I go thought hard Aaron Rodgers was going to be... Yeah, me too. I thought Aaron Rodgers would be, but he is playing probably the best football of his career right now so it won't be but i think dak and matt stafford they may not get traded but i think those two teams will listen offers yeah and i and if i'm the browns i am i don't care which one they go for mm-hmm. I, I would probably rather dak just because he's younger but i really don't care and just go all in yeah e- either one um would be fine with me. Dak is younger. Mm-hmm. Um, He'll I get f- paid more though. That's that's the say. That was the, that was the trade off about to say. Like he is younger, but he's going to want more money. I also don't know how much better he is than Matt Stafford. I think maybe a little bit, but I, I don't know that it's actually significant enough to make a difference at any point in a game. They, I mean, if let, let's let's play the the hypothetical game here. Uh, the hypothetical game of being. Let's say they somehow magically acquire Dak Prescott, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, the adjustments to their current offensive scheme would be minimal. Right. And I, I think that's something that they would definitely favor, mm-hmm. it, even though he would have the higher salary. Yeah, you would be capped out. Um, and so you would have to basically say, with the draft, we can fix this defense and this offense is ready to go, which I think is fine. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I probably would rather go for Dak. Um, I think you're right. I think Stafford, you probably need to change it a little bit. Again, just like kind of the bootleggy stuff. Yeah, just some, get out. just some tweaks. Yeah, but I, I mean, I would give up two first round picks for either of them. I know that sounds crazy, but I would do it. I mean, honestly, Matt Stafford probably caps you out too. Now that I think about, it. I know he's not on a terrible contract, but I think he probably caps you out also. I, I think he gets you closer to capping yeah. out. Um... And pull up his contract again. I mean, uh, they're both substantially better than Kirk Cousins. Like, this isn't a Minnesota Vikings move. Correct. Let's. I mean, his his cap, Stafford's cap hit for next year is thirty four point nine million. Okay. The year after, it's twenty seven point nine million. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> most of that's bonus. Right. Things uh, there, so. Huh. That's that's worth to take into consideration. There, that's why the the dead cap number is so much lower, right? Um, because let's see, he has a base salary of nine point five, a ten million dollars signing bonus, ten million dollars roster bonus, five hundred thousand so dollars workout bonus, four point nine restructure. Okay, I have a question. Could the Browns pay the dead cap for the Lions? Like, is that allowed in the NFL? Well, that's a good question. Didn't they essentially... No, I mean, they kind of did that with Osweiler, but not really. I mean, I thought that... I Yeah, I, I don't know. I really have no idea, because I could think of times where it could have been that, but maybe not. Um, but if they could, the Browns will have the space to take that on. And I think then you can get a much more Browns-friendly deal. I think you could do a first-round pick and they'll take on his dead count. Maybe like a fourth round pick in there too. But I think that's actually a really, that would be a wise way, I think, for the Browns to spend the rest of their cap. Let's see. Maybe have enough for one free agent. So you sign a safety or something and then you go compete. I'm trying to I'm trying to look because there's a situation that we had uh, just this past offseason with Jadavian Clowney, right? If you remember, and who has been awful, by the way? He has not been good. <sighs> Let's see. This is giving me kind of answers, but not really any specific answers. Um, teams can't trade cash and or cap space is what's okay. here. But I, I imagine there could be some sort of way to right to pl- you know, play with the numbers. and Yeah, I'm sure there's a way around. I, to me, that would be the type of move that I could actually see this front office making. Like, this front office seems very kind of long-term focused, which is why I think they signed Case Keenum. Now, maybe Case Keenum doesn't play this season, but that move was clearly, they thought this roster could be ready to compete for a playoff spot. 
they were worried about Baker, so they brought in a guy that, in a worst-case scenario, could come in and probably do better than Baker's likely case. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's why they drafted Delpit. I think that's why they signed Hooper and then drafted another tight end. Like, they just seem very kind of long-term focused. I think that's why they drafted Nick Harris. I mean, I could see them making that type of move. Like, it's a five-year move right if you're trading for Stafford you're doing it because he's going to be your quarterback for the next five years yeah and I I think if they were to do that what it would do is within those five years you would have one to two years with the the current wide receiver group yep And, and once those receivers potentially uh leave one way or another whether it is through trade or they play out their contract and leave a free agency. Um, I do believe Stafford someone who's good enough to elevate the play of a receiver of a certain floor. Yeah. Well, and I also think that even if Jarvis and Odell and the, the big losses, Higgins, are all gone, um, <laughs> uh, I, I think that... Uh, I, I, my guess is this front office will find a way to get, I, I think, again, through the draft, like guys like Donovan Peoples-Jones, I think they will draft kind of in mid-rounds. Um, because with wide receiver, a lot of times, those mid-round guys actually hit and are really good. Yeah. Uh, if I was any team, uh, the first thing I'd be doing is figure out uh, who's identifying and drafting wide receivers for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, yep. And who was coaching them and steal them, uh, do whatever I can. 100%. Because, yep, 100%. <laughs> because let's be honest here, they just churn out wide receivers like it's nothing. I remember, so I saw this. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I, was saying, I remember they got a lot of heat for taking Chase Claypool in this past draft, and uh, none of that was deserved. <laughs> right. No, no. He. I mean, I always thought with Chase Claypool, like it was unclear what his position was, but mm-hmm. if he went to a team that was competent, they would figure out how to use him, and that's what's happened. I read this really interesting study, and it was looking at like draft success for teams that have had consistent draft teams for like a decade. Um, so there wasn't a lot. I think they had like ten teams, but what they found is like each team excelled at drafting one or two positions. So, like, Steelers were obviously wide receiver and then linebacker. And then these teams sucked everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And so what you ended up seeing is it was this idea. It's not that the draft is unpredictable. Like, teams are good at certain things in the draft. They just don't draft those players every year. And when they don't draft those players, it turns out to be a bad draft for them. Which I thought was fascinating, but it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, Patriots can draft D-line and linebacker like nobody's business. They suck at drafting a receiver. Uh, Ravens can draft pretty much every defensive position outside of cornerback. And they historically have not drafted quarterbacks, but when they have, they've tended to be good. Mm-hmm. They suck at drafting receiver. They suck at drafting tight end. They suck at drafting a line, but they're really good at defense. And I thought that was so interesting. And it makes sense. Yeah. Like these teams have scouts that are really good at identifying a few positions and they just keep And the trick I think is if you're one of those teams, and I think this is what Pittsburgh and Baltimore figured out, you draft those positions every year. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at the, the Ravens or the Steelers drafts every year. Uh, 
and usually without fail, they it, it basically is in some order of linebacker, wide receiver, defensive tackle, yep. offensive guard, and like yep. a, a running back. Yeah, they know what they're good at, right? And I think it's slightly different things, but they both know what they're good at. And yeah, I agree. The Patriots, I don't know like what they have to do to get a good receiver because they just they suck at it. Trade for him. Yeah, that's what they're gonna have to do. That's what they. I wonder done if David Njoku could play receiver. You know, I've heard Browns fans say that maybe that's the pitch we make to the Patriots. Like, listen, <laughs> this guy sucks as a tight end. We know that. You know that. You don't need like we're not gonna ask you for anything because he's a tight end. However, he is quite the athlete. Imagine him as a receiver. He could be your own Chase Claypool. And then see what they give you. Jeez. Uh, I mean, if you're talking to the Raiders 15 years ago, they'd be all for that. Um. <laughs> Side note, and then I think we probably should wrap this up, but like the Raiders look actually like surprisingly good this year. I, I, I did not think John Gruden would have this team playing like this. I didn't either. Um, they are playing, I think, better than... Most people expected them to. Uh, the question with when it comes to the Raiders is, well, besides John Gruden and his constant need to make moves for the sake of moves, yeah, um, is the quarterback. Yeah, um, I've heard it many times that his the way that he views his offense is like a like a luxury sports car, like a Ferrari. Yep. And, speed and power and he wants the quarterback to have the keys but if the quarterback can't handle that he gets impatient and takes them away yeah because he views it as like his car is getting dented or wrecked they'll draft a quarterback this year 100 percent. absolutely um and i i have no idea why they signed marcus mariota uh this offseason uh, i know everyone's gonna have a backup quarterback or whatever but I never thought him as uh, as someone, if, let's say, Derek Carr were to get hurt, as someone who could step in and hold down the fort. No, I, and I mean, I actually like Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr is like a, not, they're very different quarterbacks, but like a Ryan Fitzpatrick in the sense that, or Josh McCown, or one of these guys that will be around for a while is a starter that you start while you wait for your young quarterback to develop. Um. But I think that's what he is, and I think John Gruden knows that. John Gruden's going to sign. They'll draft a quarterback this year. Wherever they're picking, they'll draft a quarterback. Um, I, Marcus Mariota is just a... I, so I, I understand when he was at Oregon, his accuracy was unlike anything we've ever seen. He had mm -hmm. a quick release. He was very accurate. But what you always have to watch with those guys is, yes, like the accurate guys tend to just be better. Like Your success rate is higher. But you can't rush them because if they're rushed in and they start being less accurate because they all of a sudden have to read complex NFL defenses, their confidence goes. I actually think that's what happened to Baker. I was because about Baker to say the exact same thing. <laughs> Baker was super accurate in college and was super accurate most of his first season. And then second season, teams realized that he couldn't read complex zone. And that's what they ran all season. And I think his confidence went down the toilet. Mm -hmm. And so you got to be – and I think that's what happened with Marcus Mariota – and that's what you just have to be careful about. I think that's a fear for I have for Tua, right? Like Tua is a guy who's incredibly and Burrow, to be honest with you, like I, I actually think Burrow especially because Burrow doesn't have a great arm, 
he is just about accuracy. And I mean, the Browns, I, I know they scored on like every drive that they didn't throw it, have a turnover, but the Browns like were confusing him. And it didn't matter much because Browns aren't talented, but he was not reading the defenses right. And he's going to face a lot better defenses than the Browns. Yeah. And I just worry about it with those guys. I always do. Those guys are just guys that they should be successes unless their confidence takes a hit. Yeah. And. And back to Mariota for a second. Something that I was always very um, critical of Mariota, especially in that Oregon offense uh, that he ran, uh, which is nothing like what an NFL offense is ever. No, it's a joke. <laughs> um, the, the offense was essentially uh, he snaps the ball. It's he makes. It's basically like a. It was like a. It was like a read option. Yep. And. Uh, if he keeps, he has the option of, of throwing to his first option, his first read. If not, he runs. That was yep. their entire offense. Yep. No, it was, that, that I mean, everybody was saying that, like, oh, well, Baker didn't run real – Baker's offense was much closer in college to real NFL offense than I think Mario had ever ran. But the but the concepts, I guess, or the, the similarities in that regard of first read and throw it are, yeah, are but... very comparable. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think it was a – so Baker's offense was not zone read, right? It was yeah, a, obviously. It, it was a real spread offense, and I don't have as much – like Kyler Murray ran that same offense, and Kyler Murray looks incredible. I, I don't think that type of offense is the problem. I think it's like that zone read, one read, throw mm-hmm. offense that is just – unless your quarterback comes out as an incredible athlete, it doesn't work. Yeah, because that, that's – <laughs> Mariota was someone I was just like this. This isn't real. This isn't real. He never was good in that. I mean, I always said like I could see why a team would want to draft him at like the end of the first round, right, or even in the second round. He went second overall, didn't he? Yeah. Was he second? I thought he may have been. I thought he went over Jameis. Jameis was first, I believe. Hold okay, on. Oh, hold on. I actually think Jameis is a guy that. I hope he learns a lot in New Orleans because I think he's a guy that could actually come back and look really good in the NFL. Yeah. Jameis was first, then it was Mariota. Yeah. I mean, Jameis's problem was never that he couldn't read a defense. Jameis actually reads defenses really well. It's that he just was too risky. He was risk accepting. Well, he's, he was too risky. And uh, let's be honest here. Uh, he couldn't see. <laughs> right, right. I, I really think, I hope he learns a lot under Drew Brees, because so, I think he will end up as a good NFL starter for a while. And I hope he learns a lot under Drew Brees, because I've been saying this for three years, and I just want to be right. <laughs> but, like, if you look at his numbers last year in Tampa Bay, they actually were phenomenal. He just threw a ton of interceptions. Yeah. Um, and I get that's like, well, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how is the play? But <laughs> I, 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 I really, I, I think that the interceptions were not like what Baker's doing, right? He he can read defenses. He was just trying to thread the needle on throws that he, he couldn't thread the needle on, but if he did it, they were a touchdown. Um, yeah, I really like Jameis. So, yeah, Mario did never made sense to me. No. That, that was the dumbest thing the Titans did, and that's why I think they fired that whole management team. Yeah, I, I, the issues with Jameis, uh, interceptions, 30 Mm-hmm. Fumbles. He fumbled twelve times last year. Yep, yep. He's risk accepting. 
like way too risk accepting. He's fumbled 50 times in his career. He fumbled 15 times in 2017. Because have you watched how he holds a ball? Like that ball is already in throwing motion. Like (laughs) that's what, I mean, he has a cannon and the way he can get it off is by holding the ball like that. And so it just means like people knock it over. But again, I feel like a good coach and like Drew Brees could like sit down with him and be like, listen, man, you have a cannon as it is. You, you, there's no need for you to hold the ball like that, and there's no need for you to try to thread the needle. Like, give your receivers time, and then just launch it. And I think if he can learn that, he'll be really good. Ah, that's a big if, but yeah, I mean, and we also don't know what Jameis Winston looks like now that his vision's fixed. Right. Let me be honest. I would rather have Jameis Winston than Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I mean the 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 turnovers will. Uh, Let's be honest. The expected turnovers, because it's Jameis Winston. He's someone who takes risks. He's going to turn yep. the ball over. Yep. They, they'll be annoying. Yep. They'd be uh, just irritating to watch and frustrating. Yep. But if we're looking at quarterbacks, who's a better quarterback? It's easily Jameis Winston. Well, in the one year Jameis Winston played in this scheme, I forgot who the head coach was, but the offensive coordinator ran zone blocking was his best year in the NFL. Um, because he's great off play action because he has a cannon. Yeah, and last year, his first year in the Bruce Arian scheme was not kind to him. But, but it's that's... not kind to a lot of people either. I mean, Tom Brady, to be like completely honest, is not having a great season. I know like he's ha- his numbers are great and they're doing well, but mm-hmm. like that game against Chicago, Chicago was just like, okay, we'll let you throw it deep. Try it, Tom. Go for it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't like he doesn't have that offense. I think is. I I don't. I mean, I think they have a bit. Let me rephrase that. I think Tampa Bay is as good as they are because they have a lot of receiving talent. Mm-hmm. They have a great defense, and Tom Brady's the smartest quarterback in the NFL. Yes. I don't think it's because that offensive scheme is brilliant. I, I think it is outdated. I think it probably only works with very specific players. So, and they just added Antonio Brown to the mix. Yeah, which is another like th- that team is going to be good until they hit the playoffs, and then when they hit the playoffs, every team's going to do what the Bears did. That team's going to lose in the first round. They'll hit some team from the NFC West, and it'll be over. I, I think the addition of Antonio Brown to that offense could help cover up some uh, holes yeah. that they that they have, or if they have the and best make receiving it... room in the NFL. It's it's not even close. <laughs> no. I mean, Chris Godwin's amazing. And Daniel Brown, even like at 50% of what he was, will still be a very good receiver. Gronk is playing like Gronk. Yeah, he's back. Uh, yeah. Still have Cameron Braid, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. 